0: There is one match of 1997 you need to watch. It's probably Stone Cold versus Bret Hart. But if there are two, the second one has to be Michaels versus Undertaker. And for a bunch of reasons, but the best being, you need to understand how important Michaels going through that table was. Michaels was the big star at that point. And ECW... Was the little upstart in Philadelphia in a bingo hall, famously? Stylistically, ECW was hugely important. It it not only gave the world some amazing wrestlers. For example, oh, I don't know, Steve Austin, who was in was in WCW first, but then really became the character that carried him through uh, in. ECW. It gave us the first glimpse of Rey Mysterio and Psychosis, and Juventud Guerrera. It introduced Cactus Jack to the world. He'd, yeah, he had been in WCW beforehand. In uh, 93, he had a great series of matches with Vader, which will be subject of a couple of podcasts here. But really, it was in ECW where he became Cactus Jack, where he became something all the smarts talked about and loved. Well, maybe in 93 in a WCW. But everything had changed. And now we get this hell in a cell, this match that was a boxed-in cage. And we were supposed to believe, and I honestly remember thinking, there's no way anyone can interfere in this, so it's going to be great. Uh, we're going to get a clean win. And in a way, when they put the top on the cage, that was Vince McMahon admitting that Dusty Rhodes had been right. There's no way you can get around the parallels to the War Games match beyond. No way you can. Steel cage, top. It had been done before. I believe Memphis had done a few of them. I think uh, Texas had done some. Maybe even Detroit. I get the feeling that there was some Detroit matches that were uh, roofed cages. But this was... Obviously, a reference to Dusty's match beyond. It was violent. It was bloody. It was brilliantly worked. Michaels is the best worker in the world not named Mitsuharu Misawa or Kenta Kobashi at this point. No question. He was bouncing all over the place. He made everything Undertaker did look like it had murdered him. It was brutal. He was so good at selling Taker's offense. Taker, for his part, managed to do something that only the best wrestlers in history have been able to do, which is make a cartoony gimmick look legit. How hard is that? How hard is it to do that cinematic sit-up when he's gone down, flattened his back, and then sits up straight, and make that work in the context of a massive brawl? You can only do that by having complete and utter conviction to your character, as well as understanding how a match unfolds. And Undertaker... Better than anyone who isn't Ric Flair, Bret Hart, or Shawn Michaels understands how a match needs to unfold within the device of a character. And Undertaker has been brilliant at that. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer and is every bit as important to the success of the WWE slash F slash other uh, as Hulk Hogan, honestly, not only because of things like the streak, because he uh, drew very well when he got his challenges, when this ma- this series of matches with, uh, Sean did pretty well. You have to remember at this time also, WWF was losing to Nitro every week. Raw was way behind Nitro. They were still going strong with the NWO, and in a way you could look at it and saying, well, the WWF at that point is presenting The Undertaker versus another undersized And you'd be right. But they were both so good. And this match was phenomenal. If you get the chance to go to the WWE Network right now, pause this podcast and come back. And watch how The Undertaker works the match and how Sean sells his offense. It's clean. It's beautiful. It really is a work of art. And it all is leading up to two moments. One, Sean on the top of the cage, hanging off the top of the cage, actually, taking the bump through the table. And you can see him, while everyone remembered that spot, it looked awful to anyone who had been watching ECW for a couple of years at that point. Because he's sort of, you can see him measuring his fall before he goes, and then he went. And yeah, the actual crash was spectacular, and everyone marked out because, wow, how did that happen? How did we just witness that? At that point, we hadn't gotten Mick Foley yet. We hadn't gotten the, the classic bump uh, off the top of the cage into the ring or through the table. This was setting the stage for all that. We hadn't had the ladder matches where uh, Hardy or the Dudleys or Edge and Christian were taking phenomenal bumps, the biggest bumps in history, that weren't New Jack jumping off the balcony, which he had just started doing. At about the same time. The business was different and that was hugely important. But looking back on it now, it's like, oh yeah, he did everything he could to protect himself in that fall. Yet, as a part of the match and the storytelling, it's completely forgivable. The second is, of course, Kane coming in, ripping off the door after they've gone back into the ring. Uh, back into the cage. Ripping off the door, uh, giving the tombstone to Undertaker, and then Shawn Michaels getting the pin. It was the best way you could debut Kane. And while the Kane character is nowhere near as good as Undertaker, it certainly provided a lot of quality stuff over the past, you know, almost 20 years. Kane, as Undertaker's sort of foil, lasted a long time. And he's a solid character. Uh, Glenn Jacobs, bless him, not the best worker in the world, but has done a lot with the character. Watch this match. It's a five-star, no doubt match. I would put it in the top ten of the nineteen nineties, along with Stone Cold versus Bread, which won Match of the Year a lot of places. Uh, along with the two Misawa Kobashi matches, along with uh, Kobashi versus uh, Steve Williams and Stan Hansen, uh, of course, uh, Ozaki and Kensai versus. Uh, Toyota and Yamada, uh, that definitely gets one of my top, the Dream Slam match definitely gets one of my top spots. Probably Megami Kudo versus, uh, Combat Toyota, uh, in the Barbed Wire match from FMW, and the last Dean versus Eddie match, those are sort of, oh, and Eddie versus, uh, <laughs> Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio at uh, Halloween Havoc this same year, maybe even the same month, no, it was the same month, it was both October. 97. Great matches. All of them. Phenomenal. This one is right up there with them. The next time, I'll be talking about what happened after. I'll talk about that now, actually, and then we'll give you the next match. Michael Undertaker had one more big match at the Royal Rumble. I was there, Royal Rumble 1998. I was sitting in the third row. Stone Cold ran right by me when he entered the Rumble. And we didn't know we were seeing history when, uh, I want to say, Taker backdropped Michael's over-the-top rope and he hit his back on the coffin. It was a coffin match on the edge of the coffin that led him to take four years off. I have to get the cortisone shot so he could work the match with uh, Stone Cold at Mania. And it was a great match. It really was. It was phenomenal storytelling from two of the best storytelling wrestlers in history. Undertaker goes on to feud with Kane. That has its ups and downs. Uh, He wins a title. He goes, he changes his character a lot. He adds, in the 2000s, he starts to add a little bit of the MMA stuff because he's a big fan. And he really changes the business twice. By doing the whole, you know, Master of Destruction thing and uh, the acolytes and introduction. And for a long time, he carried the company. But the streak was the big thing, and going into the WrestleMania in two thousand and eight, the streak was the most legit thing in wrestling, possibly the most legit thing in MMA too. Michaels, of course, had to take four years off. He founded the Texas Wrestling Academy, which gave us people like Daniel Bryan, Paul London. Uh, I, you know, you can make a list of twenty amazing workers who all came out of that. That company and Daniel Bryan being probably his greatest success, and that certainly changed the business there. So he was gone for four years, then he came back in 2002, great feud with Triple H, and had some of the best matches of his career because he was a little less selfish. I really think that's what it was. He understood what it meant to work in the business, and I think being gone for four years and the whole Christian revival thing that's that's there too but I think he really started to get it and after the Ric Flair retirement match which is one of the truly the great matches of the past 20 years you knew that his next part was the end of his career that we were going to be watching how he folded up shop and the two Undertaker Wrestlemania matches were him turning the closed sign.